This podcast is for mature audiences only. Hi, my name is Claudia McMichael, and I wrote and lived The Other Me. My grandsons Chase and Hayes are avid readers and were anxious to read The Other Me. They would ask me how much longer it would be before it would be finished. They also wanted to make sure they were mentioned in the book. I had explained to them that I was writing the book for them and their children. Every time they visited, I would notice Chase, the older, when trying to sneak a peek at one of my manuscripts. They knew they weren't allowed to touch anything on my table, so it just took only a look from me before he went on to something else. Periodically, they would ask me questions about what the book was about. Trying to explain the subject of my book on an age-appropriate level was extremely difficult. I had already had the discussion with their mother, Courtney, about when they might be old enough to understand ESP. At eight and nine years old, we both agreed they would have to be in high school before we could have a discussion about Gaga's talents. One day, they heard me tell Courtney I had finished the other me. Chase asked me if I had finally finished my book and could he read it. They were excited and wanted to start reading it right then. I broke the news that they would have to wait until they were older, maybe even high school, before they could understand the subject matter. Chase said, What? You wrote a book about us and we can't even read it? What's wrong with it? How do you explain the supernatural to two young boys without scaring the bejesus out of them? I knew I had to come up with some kind of explanation that would not only satisfy them, but would pacify them until they were older. They knew I had visions, but was unsure how that exactly worked. I explained about the hologram on my car. I showed them how you could look at the numbers indicating how fast you were going, but still be able to look clearly through the windshield at the same time. I put my hand in front of my face and said, pretend your hand is a tree. Then I splayed my fingers and said, you can still see my fingers, but also see everything in between. I told the boys that my visions only lasted a few seconds and then they would disappear. I thought I had done a really good job of explaining how visions worked, but no, this just made them more curious. Children tend to be tactile learners and if they don't touch something concrete, it's difficult for them to understand. How could I possibly see something that they couldn't see? They wanted to know some of the things I had seen in visions when I was their age. My first thought was a neighbor of a neighborhood boy I knew named Travis. Travis happened to be my boyfriend. I was 10 and he was 11, but because I had started school early, we were in the same class. He had given me a cute bracelet that his sister didn't want anymore. He also rode his bicycle a mile to the hospital on the last day of school to bring me my report card. I had just had my tonsils removed that morning and he was obviously worried about me. He told the teacher that he lived in my neighborhood and would be glad to take the report card to me. Knowing that I would be in the hospital a few days, my teacher knew my mom would appreciate not having to leave me to come to school to pick up my report card. Travis, the daredevil. 
didn't bother to tell his parents that he was going to ride through busy traffic just to check on me. Mom almost had a conniption fit when she asked him to thank his mother for dropping him off to give me the card, and he told her he had ridden his bike. Immediately, she regaled him with everything bad that could have happened to him on the way to the hospital. I was still groggy from the surgery, so this part is a little unclear, but I think my dad said he had to go back to work and he was going to put Travis's bike in his truck and take him home. At least I hope that was what happened. Not long after my return from the hospital, I had a vision of smoke twirling high in the sky. By the time I was 10, I realized no matter how bad my mom had threatened me, I had no control over my visions. I knew two things for sure. My visions always came true and I had no power over them. Quickly, I ran throughout the house looking for the cause of the fire. I had a vision of a fire a year ago, but it didn't happen anywhere around me or my family. I went out on the front porch and looked up and down Front Street searching for smoke. It was always very perplexing for me to know something was going to happen, but not to know how it was going to affect me or others. I never had a panic attack, but sometimes I would get so scared I would start trembling, especially if I felt there might be danger. This was definitely one of those times. My one safe haven during these times was in the backyard. We had a beautiful pecan tree with branches perfectly aligned for climbing. This was the one place I felt I could calm myself down and just think without being bothered. I would even come out bundled up in the dead of winter to escape to my safe place. The higher I climbed, the safer I felt. My favorite branch merged with another branch forming a V-shape place to sit comfortably. In the summer, leaves at the end of the branches were so thick it provided the perfect cover so no one could see me. From my vantage point, I could see everyone's backyard. Sometimes the actions of my neighbors were funny, but sometimes they were troubling, especially when I saw men going to houses I knew they shouldn't be in. That day, I had a mission to find the source of those clouds of smoke I had seen in my vision. Suddenly, I heard a back door slam from the house that was catty corner to our house. It was Travis, grumbling about having to mow the grass. He was kicking up dirt as he headed for the detached garage. Normally, I would have yelled at him to get his attention, but I could tell he was in no mood to talk or come over and play games. From my vantage point, I watched him open the door to the storage area of the garage. The floor was elevated a few feet, so he sat down on the edge while still grumbling. He picked up a gasoline can and began to shake it to see if he had enough gas for the mower. He put it back down, then reached further in and around the can, picked up something small. It didn't take long for me to realize it was a box of matches. He took a match and struck it against the box. After it was lit, he threw it onto the grass. Then he would stomp the tiny little fires out with his shoe. He had done this several times, and I could tell by the look on his face he was really enjoying himself. And I have to admit, I was enjoying watching him doing something I would be too scared to do. 
I knew he shouldn't be doing this in the heat of a Texas summer when the temperature soared to over 100 degrees on any given day. The grass surrounding the garage was brittle and brown. Just the right situation to start a fire. <gasps> no, oh no, I knew what my vision meant. I saw him strike another match and scream, Run, Travis, run! A hot breeze took that spark and landed it on the can of gasoline. I guess the fumes of the gas was enough to ignite the entire can. Travis had jumped to safety, but by the time he turned around, he saw that side of his garage go up in flames. He started yelling at me to call the fire department. <clears throat> I had already made it to the bottom of the tree, jumping the last few feet and hitting the ground running. Mom heard the commotion and yanked open the screen door as I was telling her to call the fire department because Travis's garage was on fire. The fire truck arrived quickly and saved the rest of the garage, but the storage area was in hot cinders. With me standing beside him, he told the firemen what had happened. They shook their heads and asked how he had avoided getting burned since he was sitting so close to the gasoline can. He pointed at me and said, it was her. Claudia yelled at me to run right before the can caught on fire. They asked me where I was when the fire started. I pointed to the pecan tree in my backyard. I told them I saw the whole thing and Travis was telling the truth. My mom, on the other hand, was not buying into this scenario at all. Looking at me with that death stare could only mean one thing. She knew I'd had a vision and I knew I was going to be in big trouble when she got me into the house. She shook her head at me like I had better not tell those firemen what I had seen. Sylvia had called Travis's mom at work to tell her Travis needed his parents. Both of his parents had shown up quickly. Of course, Travis was shaking so bad and crying when he saw them that they took pity on him and just kept saying over and over again, they were just glad he was alive. Seeing we were no longer needed, Mom and I pushed through the crowd of fire trucks in half the neighborhood to get into the house. I was doing a little bit of shaking myself because I didn't know what was getting ready to happen to me. I had gone against her command not to ever have visions again. You can't imagine how shocked I was when she said, Go ahead and wash your hands and set the table. Daddy will be home for lunch in a few minutes. That was it. Are you kidding me? My knees had been knocking together so hard I thought I was going to fall on the floor. I guess when she saw my rapid breathing, she knew I couldn't take any more shock that day. I noticed at the table she told Dad all that had happened and it was understood that I wouldn't volunteer comments unless Daddy asked me a direct question. We ne never had a conversation about this again. That afternoon, Travis came over to play cards on the front porch and talk. I knew what he was going to ask me and had already composed my answer. He asked me how I knew the can was going to catch on fire because he didn't know it until he turned around and saw the blazing fireball that had once been the gasoline can. I told him even I knew you don't strike matches around a can of gasoline. He seemed satisfied with my answer and we continued to play cards until it was time to go into the house and watch cartoons. 
I told Chase and Hayes this childhood story of mine to scare them from ever playing with matches. Although, now I guess everyone uses handheld fire starters. I also wanted to show them how a vision could be a very good thing and something they shouldn't fear. Chase said, Gaga, why don't you write a children's book about a kid that was your age and had visions like you? <gasps> oh my gosh, this was something I had never thought about. What a wonderful idea. Of course, it would have to be fiction with age-appropriate scenarios. I would also have to use an elementary list of vocabulary words. I told the boys I would think about writing a children's book, but I might need their help. Most grandmothers I know read their grandchildren a book before they go to sleep. I never did that. I used my creative writing skills that I had honed for over 32 years as a school teacher to teach my grandsons how to tell their own story. Just like in the classroom, I taught these little boys how to start their story with an interesting beginning that would catch their audience's attention, then write at least three supporting paragraphs and end with an exciting ending. We also practiced inserting automatopias. Those three and four-year-old boys could spot a word that mimicked a sound in any book that was read to them. Their favorites were bang, splat, whiz, crash, zap, and of course, buzz. We call these stories dream scenes and I would begin by giving them a simple topic like cars or horses. At first their stories were delightful, but as they aged the contents of the stories became bolder with lots of superheroes jumping from buildings and using their lasers to save the day. The following story is one which I based on the composite of stories my grandson shared with me over the years. You need some background here. From an early age, Chase and Hayes were fascinated by the Ellis County Courthouse. It was built in the middle of Waxahachie Town Square. Its castle-like turrets and tall Romanesque columns were just what these boys needed to produce wonderful dream scenes. I would always have to take a detour through town so they could look at the courthouse. When Hayes was about four, he asked me if I knew he had a best friend named Joy. I told him no, but I would like to meet him sometimes. Hayes explained that Joy was his imaginary friend who lived on the top floor of the courthouse. He said it was Joy's job to look down on all the people from his balcony and make sure they were all right. The following story is based on a composite of some of the ideas they shared with me from their dream scenes over the years. Join me next week when my grandsons, Chase and Hayes, share their book, Through Joy's Eyes, with you.
The Other Me and the Ignorant Widow can be purchased on Amazon and downloaded on Kindle. Remember, you don't have to be strong, just knowledgeable. This is Courtney wishing you a great week.